Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back this week. I got a great show for you lined up, got a great guest for you lined up. And as always, we always jump into the reviews of the week. So this week comes from Iraq, the Juice Man. Nice name. Dig it. We got five stars on Apple Podcasts. He says, an absolute no fluff Christian podcast for men. Oftentimes, as us men shy away from our Christian callings and values because the righteous way doesn't always feel like the masculine way. Dan and all his guests bring truth and transparency in what it takes on this journey to be a loving and leading father in faith. Too many times religious podcast shows, movies all come out as cheesy and hard to relate to. This podcast is the exception. You're challenged every episode with achievable goals And each episode has a great message to tap into your life with. I've had so many aha moments listening. I have a lot of personal success listening to this amazing podcast. From one who has been down many dark paths, this is a godsend. Please give it a listen. And Bring Your Hammer with Kent Evans is my favorite episode. So thank you, E-Rock the Juice Man. That's like the greatest uh, review of all time. Uh, <laughs> I love the bring truth and transparency and the masculine way comments that you had in there. So super great. All right. So let's get this one going. Let's get this one going. And guys, uh, don't feel like you've got to leave a review that was as good as that one. Uh, you can leave just a few short words and I'd be greatly appreciative as we climb our way to a hundred reviews. So we're short of that now and look forward to you throwing a five-star on Apple Podcasts. So thanks guys for doing that. All right. With that said, let's jump in. We have got Jesse Eubanks with us. Jesse has written a new book. It's not out yet, but it's coming out soon. It's called How We Relate understanding yourself, understanding God, yourself, and others through the Enneagram. So I may have said a just a bad word in some people's uh, thoughts and opinions, or I may have said a word where people get super excited about. So it's interesting talking to people about the Enneagram. Jesse's also got two podcasts. He's got one called Enneacast and also Love Thy Neighbor. So with that said, Welcome, Jesse Eubanks, to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's funny when uh, the Enneagram first crossed my path years ago, I saw the symbol for the Enneagram, you know, all this connectedness. And I go, oh, that's pretty cool. Flip side, some of the people around were like, hey, that kind of looks like a pentagram. I know, right? Right. Yeah. A lot of people are worried that Ouija boards are required uh, to uh, participate in the Enneagram. I just want to go on record. Ouija boards are not a part of the Enneagram. 
like not even not a part. They're not required, not a part. They're no, no, not a part at all. Not a part at all. Yeah, I know. And it's so unfortunate, man. Um, you know, there are some uh some of the the guys that uh helped put the Enneagram together over the last hundred years, they were not Christians, they did not have Christian worldviews. Um, they pulled a lot of wisdom out of the Christian tradition. Um, but they themselves they just believe very, you know, things that were not a part of our faith. And as a result of that and uh, some of their personal beliefs, a lot of people are, are understandably, they're concerned that those whacked out ideas have made their way into the Enneagram itself. So that's where you get people throwing around, you know, demonic, it's occultic, it's, you know, these sorts of things. And, um, and I always just, uh, you know, try to remind folks um, we believe in a God who works through all kinds of people. And there are lots of things on a daily basis that I enjoy with everything from my phone all the way to the country I live in where people have contributed who do not share my faith. Um, and yet, um, uh, I can still enjoy some of the benefits of the work that they've done. And so, um, so yeah, so the Enneagram is not a Christian tool. It is a human tool, but we can use it with Christian wisdom. Great. A lot of people claim it's a Christian tool. Yeah, yeah, there is that. And and I kind of get it, you know, so this whole, in the Enneagram, uh, the Enneagram explores this idea of that all of us have a deadly sin. We all have these vices and that there are these virtues we can lean into. And that concept, that idea comes all the way back from the desert fathers, fourth century monastic Christians, you know, living uh, um, out in the desert, contemplating, you know, what does it mean to, to know God and walk with him? And, and so there's a lot of stuff that comes out of the early church ideas that, that did ultimately make their way down and into the Enneagram. But I personally think it is quite a stretch for people to say it's an ancient Christian tool. I, I, I don't think that that's accurate. I think that we say that because we as Christians feel more comfortable if we know something's 100% got Christian roots. And so I think we say it just to feel more comfortable, but I, I don't think that's actually accurate. Got it. I was reading a book recently, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but I'll skip on trying to remember it. But it talked about that. It talked about putting things into a Christian box category and putting yeah. everything else into a non-Christian box category. Right. And right. when we move past that thought and just think about the Christian category, is the stuff in that category actually all 100% good, true, noble? Yeah. And if we filter and use discernment, no, not all the stuff that's over there is actually good, pure, noble. And yeah. flip side, in the non-Christian category, same same applies. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've turned on Christian radio. I know not all that stuff is like you know purely of the Lord. Uh, and um, and then on the flip side, you know, just because um, you know my neighbor, you know, who's not a Christian, does that mean that everything that they build, contribute, think? that none of it, God's common grace isn't on any of that. And so, so yeah, so Christians, you know, we, it's really just about us, us, we're trying to be discerning. I get, I get why we're, we're trying to say, you know, I really want to be thoughtful about the things that influence my life and my worldview. I want to follow Christ. I get that. Um, but I think that there are moments in which we think in, you know, black and white terms and, and just a lot of times that's just not what the world's offering. And so, you know, so much of so <laughs> yes, much of black and white terms. Yes, we like yeah. as guys, we like to have very simple thinking and black and white, a hundred percent. 
Yeah. And so often, you know, what we see in scripture is um, there are moments, sure, where things are told to us, okay, this is righteous, this is evil. But a lot of the time, it's actually about wisdom. And wisdom is the ability um, to know how to navigate gray space. When something's right and wrong, it's actually not all that hard. Uh, It's not nearly as difficult. Um, And so our tendency as people is we want to push things into moral categories. Yeah, just so, you know, it's a little easier for us. And uh, yeah, we we need to be thoughtful about that because if we do that and then we pass that on to our kids, um, that that's, that's not a, a, a real source of, it's not a wise way of being. A wiser way of being, I think, is we can label some things as good, some things as bad, and a lot of things are gray. And we just need to know how do we discern it? Some things, you know, Dan, are not good for you and they're fine for me. Some things are fine for you and they're not okay for me. And that binary way of thinking makes me want to say, no, Dan, you're, my way is the right way. What you're doing is wrong. And uh, even Paul talks about um, that, uh, that for some people, their conscience allows them to do certain things and other people, they don't and so forth. So, yeah, so we just got to, we need to be wise. She just mentioned Paul. So I'll throw this in as a total side note. We were reading with a group of us about uh, in Philippians at the beginning of Philippians, Paul talk, Paul's imprisoned and he's chained up and he talks about praying for you joyfully, praying with joy. And I'm like, man, picture myself in prison with chains around me without any air conditioning or heat and you know some guards treating me poorly. And he uses the word joyfully. I'm like, sometimes my prayer list is a checklist and a duty and a responsibility. And I feel guilty when I forget something on the list or whatever it is. And he's talking about praying joyfully. So uh, (laughs) I I immediately jumped right over to that. So yeah. Yeah. What a mystery, you know, what a, like, yeah, uh, we interviewed, uh, so I I do this uh, podcast called the Enneagast where we explore the Enneagram from a Christian perspective. And yesterday I was having a conversation with this guy, Kurt Thompson. He wrote this book, The Soul of Desire. He wrote The Soul of Shame. Um, And one of the things he talked about is he said, you know, throughout human history, people never expected life to be as easy as we expect it to be now. Like now when life is not easy, we're like, well, something's wrong. Um, and he just talked about that throughout all of human history, you know, Paul would never have woken up in the morning and thought, today should be an easy day. Today, everything should go my way. And so what's amazing is if you look at uh, so many of, of Paul's longings, so often he is not praying for a change of circumstance, but he's praying for character. He's praying for wisdom. He's praying not for all of the external things around him to be transformed, but that God would meet him in his internal space so that he knew how to respond to all of those external things. Um, and uh, and I that's been a real challenge to me because I find often I'm, I end up praying for, uh, I end up praying for all my external stuff, change this, change this, change this, change this. And, uh, and so often God does not opt to do that, but he does opt to change who I am so that I know how to respond to those things. That's fantastic. What a great segue to talk about the Enneagram and how to get to know ourselves and how to get to know others and and grow relationship. So I love how your book opened up. Uh, There's a number of different things. However, the thing that grabbed me immediately was how uh, non, oh, what what would the word be? Um, You immediately took yourself off the pedestal and said, I've had major problems. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm a real messed up person. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. I've got issues. So let's let's establish that in the introduction. You're reading a book by a guy who's got a lot of issues. Yes, yeah, so yes. Yeah, so we all can relate. Um, do you remember some of the things you put at the very beginning of your book, some of the challenges that that you were going through is that as I was reading yeah. that list, I'm like, oh yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, the book opens with the story of uh, I'm in a small group um, with a bunch of other guys, and like, I just think I just know what is wrong with all of them, and if they would just listen to my advice, their life would be better. And so each guy's going around the group sharing about stuff that's going on, and I'm just like sizing them up. If you just do this, it'd be fine. If you just do this, it'd be fine. And then it gets around to me, and I'm lost. I have no idea what what my issue is. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's and as you know, five minutes past, 10 minutes past, 15 minutes past, it culminates in me screaming. And that's why I'm mad at God. And you could just sort of feel the recoiling in the room. And that was the moment in which I realized like, oh, I really lack self-awareness. I really, you know, I, here I am pompous thinking I know what's wrong with everybody else. And if they just listen to me, everything would be fine. And all the while, um, my ability to see myself with clarity was really compromised. I mean, the, the truth is, I wasn't just screaming at God. I'm having fights with my wife. My kids are nervous around me because of, you know, either my my temper going off or because I was sort of tuned out. Um, and so there were just lots of issues, you know, professionally, personally that were going on. And the in many cases, the root of that was my lack of self awareness and my uh, contentment with being relationally dysfunctional, I was fine with it. And I shouldn't have been fine with it. It was not okay. And I was hurting the people around me. Um, but so often we as men uh, just think, well, that's just the way that I am and the rest of the world can deal with it. And we punish the people around us because we are scared to confront our own issues. Man, I think about guys in the audience listening and guys going, huh, that one's me. That one's me. That one's who I used to be. Mm -hmm. Like that checklist of um, misery, like you had a ministry back then and it was struggling big time and all these different factors. And I'm thinking, I bet the people on the outside looking in thought, wow, Jesse's life is is pretty perfect. I don't know if that was your perception back then, but now as I was reading well, through- Well, it was definitely it was definitely the image that I wanted to project. I definitely wanted to project, oh, I'm- you know, I'm very godly and wise and mature and I've got my stuff together. And the truth is, the truth is the house was on fire, you know, and I was acting like uh, everything was fine. And, um, and so it, it became this moment in time in which uh, I had to confront uh, some, some realities about who I was and the way I was relating to other people. So, uh, so yeah, I, I ended up going and finding a, a spiritual director and the spiritual director, uh, started working with me. And one of the tools that he brought with him was this thing called the Enneagram. And exactly what you said, Dan, I was like, Penta, what? Like, it sounds, you know, like, uh, you know, occultic and weird. And, um, but man, the first time that I went through and I got to my type, there were really two types that really stuck out to me. I mean, it was like someone was crawling around in my psyche. Um, and it, and it, it almost spooked me the level of insight that this thing suddenly provided me. And what was terrifying was um, I began to realize this was how I'd been relating to people for years. And I had no idea that I had been doing it. 
Um, and, uh, and suddenly it made a lot of sense why people were responding to me the way that I was, why I was treating other people the way that I was. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, in the book, I talk a lot about this basic idea. If you take all of the law and the prophets and all of scripture, Jesus distills it into the two great commandments. Uh, you should love God with everything you've got, and you should love your neighbor as yourself, which is to say this, all of life is about relationships. When we as men wake up in the morning and we go, what is the purpose? What is the point of my life? Why am I doing this every day? The purpose of life is relationships. Your job, your hobbies, your time with your kids, your time with your spouse, your time with your parents, any of the things that you're pursuing in life, ultimately, if I pull that thread enough, it's going to ultimately come back to your relationships. And uh, so if if we believe that the purpose of existence and purpose of life is relationships, that's why we get up in the morning, then we have to understand our relational style. How is it that I relate to other people? And how is it that I relate to God? And how is that influencing the way that I'm experiencing life and how other people are experiencing me? Yeah, hundred percent. And I love that in the again reading the beginning of the book, and I'm like, right there, relationships, relationships. You know, God's got a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God is love, and I think you said it in the book was love can't really exist without another person. Yeah, that's exactly right. Which is why you know, in in Christian theology, um, we believe in a trinitarian God. God can only be love if God has always existed as a community. So the only way uh, you know, for us to really espouse this notion that God is love, we have to go, okay, then there must be Trinity. But it also um, attests to this truth. When we talk about the Imago Dei, when we talk about this idea that each of us is made in the image of God, most fundamentally, what that means is that we are made as relational people. We, uh, we have no choice but to desire connection with others. So if, uh, you know, imagine that like you go out and you, um, you go to an arcade with your son, you know, and you have a bunch of time playing video games, you might be excited about, you know, some high score you got or what at the end of the day, though, when you put your head on the pillow, what you were actually excited about was that you got to hang out with your son and connect with him. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, uh, and so even all the experiences we have in life um, are, are fundamentally about our relationships. So there is nothing that that brings more meaning and purpose to our life than the quality and health of our relationships. Um, and so that's what we've got to focus in on those, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with ourself. So you mentioned like something that as grown men and adults, like how silly is it to be excited about getting a high score, but in a relationship way, let's say you are excited to get the high score right after you achieve it. Well, like what's the next move? The next move is to look at the cl- person closest to you and you look for somebody that hopefully will be excited with you. Yeah. But regardless, you're like looking for somebody, look what I just did. Just yes, like a you know, five-year-old. Dad, absolutely. Check this out. Yes, absolutely. And it's also amazing too, because you can also have these experiences that you're not excited about initially as a father, but you become excited. So example, when my daughter was very little, she was into the wiggles, you know, the Australian, you know, wiggles and, and, uh, I can't express adequately enough how much I 
do not like the Wiggles. We're, uh, we're the same. We're yeah, the same. Uh, not my thing, man. Uh, nothing cool about them. Nothing, in, you know. And so they came in concert live to my city, and my mother-in-law buys tickets. And she says, uh, hey, I got you three tickets, one for our daughter, my wife, myself. And I said, hey, I really just don't want to go. Why don't you take her instead? You, you know, you'll have fun. And my mother-in-law, and I will forever be grateful for this, said, this isn't about you. This is about your daughter. And so uh, so I went, and to this day, it's one of my most precious memories with my daughter, is seeing that experience and those performers through her eyes. Because to them, they to her, they were the greatest celebrities in the world, and she was seeing them in person. and uh, And it became important to me because I saw it through her and with her. And so again... Um, the, uh, the quality of our relationships determines how much meaning or how much meaningless life can feel. So the Wiggles became like a favorite season of my kid's childhood. Oh yeah. Cause every time the song came on, they'd go crazy. Yeah. And, yeah you know, right. I know. I'm like, oh, I love this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, kids, kids will do crazy things, man. Like just their capacity to break us out of our shells and see things in new ways is just profound. It's beautiful. So you inter- intersected with the Enneagram more in a direct way. Mm-hmm. So you didn't go check out Myers Briggs and you didn't go check out the other, you know, uh, Strength Finder or all no, this other I, stuff. I still can't tell you much about Myers Briggs or Strength Finder. I don't know if I've ever really done either one. So no, I don't. I, yeah. I'm sure they're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way you're describing Enneagram, it's a tool to understand human behavior. Yes. Yeah, the, some of the key guys that developed it, um, one studied it, uh, he studied both Harvard and Berkeley. He was a, um, his area of emphasis was personality theory. Uh, he pulled a lot of, um, you know, content out of you know, uh, Freud and Jung and, you know, these, these really, uh, respected psychologists, like, um, and so, yeah, he's, he was pulling a lot of personality theory together and began to interweave it into a single cohesive sort of, um, um, mapping. And, and, and really what I say is if you think of it this way, if I go to the doctor and I say, doctor, I have these symptoms, this plus this, plus this, plus this, then the doctor goes, oh, well, then you have this following diagnosis. The Enneagram attempts to do the same thing. There are certain attributes that you have. You have this, 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 and this. And um, and so that fits this particular personality archetype. Um, we're not as random as people as we tend to think we are. We tend to operate in patterns, patterns of thinking, patterns of perceiving, uh, patterns of responding. Um, and the Enneagram begins to map those patterns so that we can identify them in real time. So when it's happening, I can go, oh, I'm doing my thing again. Um, and I can make a choice to not respond in that way uh, that I tend to instinctually want to respond out of. Can you add a little bit to why we simplify things or fall into patterns? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in Enneagram theory, the the basic idea is this. There are nine desires that all human beings have. Those nine desires are to be good, to be wanted, to be valuable, to be authentic, to uh, 
to be um, uh, competent, to be secure, to be happy, to protect yourself and the people you love, and to be at peace. And somewhere in the mystery of nature and nurture, one of those desires becomes more important to us than anything else. And that desire is so profound. It's buried so deep inside each of us that it works like a planet's core. Literally, the totality of our personality begins to form around that desire. So we um, we begin to relate to other people uh, in service of that desire, both in good ways and bad ways. Um, but we also even relate to God in the same way. So if I watch and listen to someone's conversational style, the way they're relating to their their wife or their kids, or their friends, and then I go listen to their prayer life, they almost always sound very, very similar because we have our one style of relating, our one style of approaching relationships, and we universalize uh, its usage. So one of the, the questions we have to ask is um, the question that Jesus asked, what do you want? Jesus was so good about drawing out people's desires and getting them to uh, to recognize what it is that they were after. And so often um, we as men, as fathers, as husbands, um, we can operate from a place where we're not very thoughtful. We're pursuing something, but we're not even thinking about what it is that we're pursuing or uh, you know, whatever it is. we want some time to ourselves, or we want to go on that special trip or whatever it is, well, what's the desire under the desire? What is that actually pursuing? And, um, in Enneagram theory, we boil it down enough. Ultimately it's going to become, you want one of these nine more than anything else. You want all nine, all nine of these desires are part of who we are, but one of them is the lead sled dog. It's the one leading the whole pack and the other eight are, are serving it. So, Along those lines, I met a guy yesterday for the first time, and he says, hey, I hear you help with this. I need that. Can you call me tomorrow? Yeah, sure. So I'm all set up to help him with the, with what he said he wanted help with. And before he got into that, he went with his primary thing of how to help him. If you help me this way, I'll let you do that. Mm-hmm. 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 We had a conversation about it and I was like, well, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take care of this for you under the guise of I'm also going to do the other thing. Um, just not, not the way that it works, mm-hmm. at least with me. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be straight with you and upfront and you know, this isn't going to work. And he goes, we talked for a while longer. He goes, oh my gosh, I did that so poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah. want to help you with this other thing and I want help in this other way. And however, like I botched this all up because mm-hmm. I, I went to my selfish desires and the thing that I want the most mm-hmm. and I used it as a hammer and that's not what I meant to do, but that's mm-hmm. the way it spilled out of my mouth. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think too, uh, Dan, I think you're getting at this idea, um, you know, that, that if I could drive anything home, it would be this, um, there is simply too much at risk for us as men to live as unaware, no self-awareness people um, who are fine with relational dysfunction. We have got to be people who say, for the sake of my relationships and for the sake of 
um, we are forging our children. Our children um, that look up to us, they're looking to us to say, uh, show me how to be a me. What does it mean to be a me in this world? Um, to be a person who has relationships and moves in this world in a particular way. And when um, our children, at least when they're under our, they by and large will only know the tools that we give them. And if we have made the decision that we are going to have a very small amount of tools that are not very strong and not very helpful, or that they're awesome, but we're using them all in the wrong ways. You know, if you're trying to use a hammer uh, to screw something into the wall, uh, it's not going to go real well. We, we as, uh, as fathers have got to do the work of being relationally healthy people and putting an end to dysfunction. Um, and that's going to require us to be courageous and brave and to begin to look in the mirror at some hard truths. And here's, here's a tip. One of the biggest things is this, ask the people around you, how do you experience me? Because they're, they can say anything they want. Now you can disagree with their interpretation, but their experience of you is their experience of you. So are they going to say, well, I experience you as you mean well, but you're not very reliable. Are they going to say, well, I experience you as you're always just exhausted and you just really want me to be, you want to be left alone. You just seem like I irritate you. Uh, ask the courageous question, how do you experience me? And, and anticipate, you're probably going to receive a lot of affirmation and a lot of really sweet, wonderful words you probably need to hear, but you're also going to hear some things that are probably going to break your heart. Um, and those, those moments, that is God inviting you into a new chapter. It's time, it's time to learn how to relate in better ways. So let's let the guys that are listening practice right now. Give us a few of those in general gut punches that people might hear or guys that ask this question might hear. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I mean, the, here's the thing too. Let, let me say this. We live in this age. Um, every culture, every society has different ideas about what masculinity means. And in America, it means particular particular things. Uh, in the Enneagram world, it's typically a lot of the three energy, the seven energy, and the eight energy. Now, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, um, when you if you take a look at the book, that will make more sense. But what you need to understand is this: that's very assertive, gr- aggressive energy. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's energy that goes and gets. And it's not energy that bows, and it's not energy that slows down. It's energy that pursues and energy that conquers. And uh, if I were to go to the people in your life and say, how do you experience this person? One of the things that they would probably say is, they don't listen to me. The people in your life would at some level articulate, I feel unheard, or I feel a lot of pressure to be different than I am. Um, I feel pushed by them all the time. I don't feel very accepted. Um, Or I feel like I've got to pretend to look a certain way in public so that they're proud of me. Um, And so, uh, but they also would say, those same people, how do you experience them? I experience them as, man, I love how they have an idea and they go after it. Or I love that they pursue their dreams. Or I love that they encourage me to go after things and to have some agency in life. So you're going to hear that stuff too. Now, on the other side, there can be a pressure on men to reject other aspects of uh, the nine types within the Enneagram, which is those aspects that are about serving other people, 
sacrificing for other people, um, uh, crying, grieving, being sad, being confused, uh, thinking ahead and really making an adequate plan um, for what's what's going to happen, um, or even accepting people or um, contending for what's right and what's wrong. There, there can be aspects, especially um, in America and in Christian sort of masculinity culture, where there can be a real push to, hey, shove down those tender feelings. My friends, that is not the abundant life that Christ has called us to. If we can look in the scriptures and we can, in no way do we look at Jesus and go, now there's a guy who swallowed his emotions and never felt anything. No, Jesus experienced beautiful depth of emotion. He experienced joy and he also experienced sorrow. And um, and when he invites us into the abundant life, he is saying um, that we have to pay attention to the tender parts of who we are. And, and that does not make you weak. If anything makes us weak as men, it is when we are so scared to admit that there are actually sensitive parts of who we are, that is actually what makes us weak. A strong man is willing and capable of going, I cry, I have hard days, things are difficult, I want to serve people in need, I want to tend to those who are weak in the room, um, I don't need to be strong, I don't need to be aggressive all the time, it's okay, I'm a human being. What those guys say to you after you said that, and that's why I'm mad at God in that small group, what did, did any of those guys... Yeah, there was quite the hush in the room. Uh, it was a lot of uh, withdrawing energy. It was a lot of guys just going, whoa. Um, and maybe not uh, that day or that second, but yeah. maybe a week later, a month later, two months later, or or in that second. But No, you know, there, here's what's interesting. There wasn't, um, it was such a revelation of me. It was almost like one of those out-of-body experiences. Like you say, you know, you, you're sort of up in your feels and you're, you know, you say this thing. And I almost was like watching myself. And I think it was so obvious that it was such a profound moment for me that those guys didn't have to say much. We had kind of built enough trust within that circle to where those guys didn't feel the pressure of, oh, I got to fix this or I got to give him my two cents. They just kind of let it sit in the room and let God do his work. They understood that in that moment, I'm having an argument with God and that they were invited into this kind of very personal, intimate moment, and they wanted to respect that. And so so there was definitely some, some follow-up, uh, but none of it stick, stuck in my mind because I think my brain was still reeling from, uh, from my outburst. Yeah, whenever I'm in a space like that where a guy exposes himself and lets his guard down, takes his mask off, whatever words you want to use about it, oftentimes the chatter I hear is, that was amazing. I can't yeah. believe he opened up. And oftentimes other guys will then drop their mask a little bit and yeah. open up a little bit more. And maybe they reveal, hey, me and my wife aren't doing so good. Or yeah. um, I accidentally, you know, yelled at my kid and and kind of got a little physical with them or whatever, whatever their thing is that they're trying to keep from everybody else. Then they go man, I'm so glad that you share that because this burden's been on me too. And I need some help or at least need to yes. get out of my system and talk about it. So, yes. Um, I mean, yeah. we, we influence each other, you know, like um, we are permeable as people. Like, um, you know, if I'm around certain people and they begin to model for me 
a better way forward and, and I trust these people, then I will then begin to follow them there. And so if, if, if I'm sitting with a group of guys and there's a guy that's like, you know, I mean, just really opens up his heart. Like, here's, here's what's going on. You know, um, man, that definitely, that invites me in to go, I'm, I'm going to follow him and I'm going to do this too. But let me say the reverse is also true. You know, if I play, if I play my, if, if I go into a scenario in which really what I need to do is be vulnerable and instead I'm behaving like I'm playing poker and I'm keeping everything close to the chest, I, I will ultimately encourage other people to do the same thing. And so vulnerability begets vulnerability. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so again, we got to do the work of, of courageously showing up to the truth. This guy's often, when I talk to them, they say, well, I don't really have anybody I can confide in. Like, well, how often have you even tried? Yeah. You know, how often have you been developing these relationships? And we tend to hole up and get inside of our little family. Mm -hmm. We keep things from our wives. Mm -hmm. And then we don't have any other friends, you know, other Mm -hmm. than the sideline friends from the kids playing sports. And we're not actively... Uh, developing male relationships. So you're not close physically or anything with any of the, your proximity, time, all that stuff that takes to develop relationship. You're not there. You're not doing the small groups. You're not doing things like that. So you don't have an opportunity to be vulnerable. Therefore, nobody's vulnerable with you and you don't get to share real life. Instead, you get to talk about, hey, did you see the game? Can you believe that pass interference call? That was <laughs> whichever side you're on on the Super Bowl pass interference call. <laughs> yeah, we do. We stick to we stick to topics because yeah. topics are not scary. Topics, you know, are enjoyable and fun. And and there's a place for that. I'm not knocking that. But but it's it's the fact that you know, we become like one-hit wonders. It's like that's all we do and we never make the 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 daring sort of journey to the other side. I mean, I found myself in a in a similar place, you know, around the time that I sort of had my my outburst is um I also started um meeting with some guys. I asked some guys, can you get together with me on a regular basis? And so uh you know, 10 15 years now, I have been um meeting with guys uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. We get together at either six or seven in the morning. We talk for an hour, an hour and a half, and each person goes around. And our motto is lead with your weakness. Mm. So we don't lead with, hey, here's the awesome thing that happened at work today. And you guys should be really impressed by me. We we do share our joys. Don't get me wrong. You know, hey, here's this great thing. I'm really excited about it. Uh, and we share that. But we also... Um, ask each other, what's the biggest burden you're carrying right now? And sometimes that's a matter of, I need to confess sin. So sometimes that is an issue of, hey, I did this thing. I shouldn't have done it. I need to confess it. And um, I think it's a problem if weeks go by and nobody's confessing anything. I think that that's a sign that people are hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, um, I think that if people come every week and it's only confession, that's problematic. So people come and I also want to know like, hey, what are your heartaches? What are the things that you're just feeling hurt over? What are the things you're worried about? What are the things that you're carrying alone and you and you need friends to to be in this with you? Um and so um so it becomes a matter um you know both of of uh, a time to share issues of sin but also wounds and burdens and hardships. Um but that ability to get it together and to be able to learn to listen to other guys really well and to share openly and to bear one another's burdens um 
I mean, it has truly been a transformative experience uh, and very much informed a lot of what I write in the book. Um, I mean, the, the whole purpose of this book is um, how do we build better relationships? Um, and a lot of that came out of my experience of having the joy of having not had as great relationships and learning to build really good relationships. There's a lady, I don't know if she's Christian or not, or if she's Jewish or whatever, but Vanessa Van Edwards is her name. And she wrote a book called Captivate, which is just about relationship and how to talk to people. And she's like, I was the socially awkward woman in the room. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how to start a conversation. And she wrote, she started getting into, she calls it the science of people. And in her book, she talks about how she literally studied how not to be the awkward woman in the room. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And part of what I love about it is this, is that we're not, um, you know, we're not fixed as people. Like we have the ability to be transformed. Uh, we have the ability uh, to, to know that God can step into my life and into my being and change me at very fundamental levels. Um, and you'll see this sometimes, like sometimes you'll see like a guy, you knew him when he was younger, and then kind of some life happened. And a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, I heard somebody once say that two things change us, prayer and pain. And a lot mm-hmm. of times what I'll see is that I'll see a guy who's younger and life just kicks his butt. I mean, it is just, he, he goes through a series of tragedies. Um, and sometimes those guys just up their game. And so they just become more exaggerated versions of their younger selves in very dysfunctional ways. But man, sometimes you'll come across these people where you can just tell the Lord has used that hardship like a fire to forge them into someone who is far more like Christ as they've gotten older. And man, those guys are full of wisdom. Um, they have the ability uh, to lay back when they need to lay back, to be assertive when they need to be assertive, to be funny and jovial, but also to weep. They become these people that just begin to defy you know, these sort of um, simplistic versions of what it means to be a man. Um, and uh, uh, and so often the Lord uses hardship and suffering. And I would say that to say like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you find yourself in this season where, gosh, this is just, it's just killing me. It just hurts so much and it's, it's going on and on and there's all these hardships. Um, the Lord will not waste your pain. The Lord can use all of this to forge you into somebody who is more like Christ. Um, and I just encourage you, lean into him, avoid the temptation uh, to try to get control of the situation through all of your sort of dog and pony show methods. Um, lean into the Lord and trust him um, and just follow him a moment at a time. It's going to be all right. So as men, what's at risk if we don't venture into understanding ourselves and understanding relationships and the implications there? What's at risk if we don't dive in? Yeah, the the risk is this. All the days that we wake up in the morning and life just feels meaningless, or the days in which we wake up and we're bitter at the world, or the days that we we wake up and we just feel ourselves riddled with anxiety, um, those are the things that are at risk. That's the life that we will be locked into unless we learn to do better relationships. And for us, for us as parents, we will pass it on to our children. 
we are telling our children how to be a person. And so, um, so there's way too much at risk. I mean, if you, if you look at, I mean, you want to look at businesses or companies, if you want to look at churches, the fallout from relational dysfunction oh my goodness. cannot be measured. How many of us grew up in extremely broken homes because we had fathers who refused to do the work? They were so buried in their in their own shame, their own guilt, their own fear. Um, they were so addicted to this is the only way that they can make it in the world um, that they overlooked us as sons or they pushed us too hard or they had the they couldn't see us in the way that we really needed as boys to be seen by them um when we make the decision um that we're just going to continue onward in our dysfunction we definitely pay, pay the price no one pays a bigger price than our children um and so we we've got to do the work of um of allowing the Lord to heal our wounds and doing the work of repenting from our broken ways of relating. Um, and we do it, um, we do it not just for our own sake and our own joy in the Lord, but we also do it because we really, really want our kids to know what it is um, to be loved and to love other people. And what type of things can you see as our kids grow older, what are the benefits to the dads and, and to the moms from yeah. doing the work? Well, let me give this example. Um, and um, I, I grew up, um, I, I had a very uh, contentious relationship with my dad. My, um, uh, my, my dad started disappearing when I was 13 years old, which is right around the age that a boy really needs his dad to be around. And, you know, my dad never learned how to deal with um, anyone disagreeing with him. It was a huge trigger for him. And his way of punishing people for disagreeing with him is that he would disappear. So sometimes it'd be two weeks, sometimes it'd be three months, sometimes it'd be five years. Um, and uh, and then when he'd reemerge, there'd be the pretending like nothing ever happened. There'd be that stage of things. So um, so as I'm growing up, that's that is a wound. That's a part of my story. And that's something that I've had to contend with. Um, you know, when you're a 13 year old boy and your dad disappears, it is very, very hard to understand that that's actually your dad's issue and not your own. As a 13 year old boy, oh, gosh, yeah. the belief is I'm something's wrong with me because I'm not worth sticking around for. So, um, so to do the work of going, no, 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 I'm valuable. The Lord loves me. Other people in my life love me. Um, my dad has certain issues that are his issues. Those are on his porch. They have nothing to do with me, but they've impacted me, but I've had to do the work lots and lots and lots of years, decades of me working on that stuff. So that now when my son who's 13, uh, I can look at him and I can really love him. I can really show up for him. And one of the ways that I know that he is feeling uh, love and he's feeling safety is that my son shares things with me that I would never, ever have entrusted to my own father. My father wouldn't have not have known how to wield the amount of intimacy that my son gives to me. I had to do the work so that my son, my hope is he's going to grow in 
to a man one day um, who's going to enjoy closeness with his friends, closeness with his spouse, closeness with his kids, closeness with the Lord. Um, but I have to do the work on my end. My wife and I say it this way. Um, uh, she grew up with an alcoholic father. Um, and I grew up with a absentee come and go father. Um, and so both of us had very, very challenging home lives as kids. And years ago, uh, we're putting our kids to bed. And as we often did, especially when they were little, we still all climb into bed together at night now and pray together. But when they were little, we'd also do story time. And she looked at me one night, I'm reading to the kids. And she just said, you know, they're normal will never be like our normal. And it was a moment when I began to realize we have the power to give our kids a new normal, but that requires me to do my work. Um, and so that, that means that I want to live into my strengths, but I've got to take ownership for my sins, my weaknesses, and I, I need the Lord uh, to, to guide me through all that. I like that story time thing at bedtime with kids. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Now we get together. Uh, my kids have gotten old enough now that, uh, yeah, we'll, we all climb in bed every night and, um, yeah, we, we pray together as a family, you know, and, um, uh, we, we've started doing this new thing too. I'll also ask, uh, before we pray now, it's, um, tell me one thing you did today. Tell me one thought you had today and tell me one emotion you felt today. And it's just a little way of checking in with my kids and kind of seeing how they are. Um, and you know what what comes to the surface, and sometimes it's simple. One thing I did today, I pet the dog. You know, uh, one thought I had today was my dog's cute. You know, so those things say things like that. But other days, man, I mean, they'll show up with real stuff, and uh, and so yeah. So it's just trying to grab those little opportunities. You know, just open the door. I don't want to shove my kids in. You know, through the door at moments they're not wanting to, but I always try to make moments where if my kids need to or want to show up with something they need to share, uh, my wife and I are ready. That's funny. Kids sometimes will answer with very little information. Like, Yeah, totally. How's your day? It's good. It's good. I get that one all the time. It's good. And so uh, so finally I turned to my daughter the other day and I said, she, I said, hey, why do you always just say it's good? She goes, because I'm tired and I don't want you to ask me about my day. And I said, I want you to listen very closely to me. I will never stop asking you about your day <laughs> so you can get in this car and you can give me that answer and I will continue to harass you or you can have some forethought and give me a real answer. Um, and I said, but one thing that won't be happening is I will not stop asking you because I love you and this is what people do when they love each other. So why don't you try again? And so she goes, I'm sorry. And so she gave me a better answer the next time. <laughs> How old was she? Was she at her, at her 14, 15 year old? Age? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was kind this of bringing is a real some of that. recent example. Oh, yeah. She was bringing a little bit of that, uh, you know, uh, early teen sass. And uh, I was not having it. Yeah, I like that. I like that pretty direct, but caring and compassionate way of uh, confronting her teenage way about herself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause the big thing is I, I just want, I want to communicate to my kids, like there are boundaries in this family, but the boundaries exist because we, we love you. And, and one of the things I say to the kids all the time too, is I'll say, Hey, listen, um, some of these boundaries, some of these things that we do things, I promise you, I'm going to ease up as you get older, the older you get, I'm going to move out of, um, making decisions for you. And I'm going to move more into coaching you. 
Um, and so I said, if you look back, I've always given you certain freedoms as you've gotten older. I promise you, I'm going to keep on doing that. But today, today you are not in the place yet where you've earned that freedom. You're not old enough yet, but I promise it's coming. And so I just try to remind them. And usually nine times out of 10, they're both pretty cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I, I omitted this earlier, but you're also an Enneagram coach. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so at some point uh, in the last decade, yeah, I got certified uh, with Crosspoint Ministry. Um, and uh, I love their approach to the Enneagram. I think that their their approach is beautiful. It's really integrated with Christian uh, theology and really faithful to the scriptures. Um, and so, yeah, I got, uh, I got certified and... Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the work that we do is not only do we have the book and we've got the podcast, but um, um, we also go out and uh, teach workshops. And so we've done work for a Fortune 500 company. Um, you know, we've done work for little small mom and pop uh, companies or uh, ministries, churches. Um, yeah, all different kinds of organizations. Um, so we'll go out and, uh, and meet with them. And so if they're Christian, we'll do our, um, very explicitly Christian teaching of the Enneagram, um, where we'll talk a lot about Jesus and about how he impacts and shapes our personality. If they're not a Christian organization, we go in and we teach a version that is, uh, that is not, uh, religious in language. And then what we do is we say, Hey, if, um, if you'd like to stay behind for one extra hour, we are now off the clock. The company is no longer paying us. And we would love to talk to you about how uh, <laughs> Christians resolve some of these massive existential questions that we have drug out of you over the last you know, umpteen hours. Um, and it's been really cool because what we find is a lot of people will stay behind because they're curious. And these are people that often would not go to a church. They came because they're interested in talking about this personality theory and oh, now we have this opportunity. Actually, we're going to talk about the gospel. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really great. Yeah. So if anybody's listening and you think your business or company need help with that, we'd, we'd love to help you out. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Can you share with us a little bit what's in that last hour, that bonus hour? Yeah. So, you know, here's, here's the basic idea. Um, in the book, um, we go through each of the nine personality types. So we talk about uh, when they're healthy, they're unhealthy. Uh, we talk about their childhood themes. We talk about the nurturing of their false self, you know, what what uh, Paul would refer to as the flesh. Um, and then, uh, but then there's this moment where it's like, it's all like very bad news. It ends on, you know, it's like not good. <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, these are, I'm really dysfunctional. Um, but then um, there's this moment in every chapter where we, uh, where I explore your encounter with Jesus. So, um, so each of the types, um, there, there are basically two uh, fundamental movements um, to encountering Jesus in, in the book. Um, and uh, before I describe those, let me say it this way. When somebody is trying to get sober, I worked at a, a homeless shelter for nine years. When somebody is trying to get sober and they go to an AA meeting, one of the first things that they do is they say, I need a sponsor. I need somebody who's older somebody who is who understands my pain but who can lead me past where i am right now and i think that one of the incredible things with our faith is that we worship the god who empathizes i think the the first movement in each of those chapters is how does god uh jesus jesus how does jesus specifically um um empathize with your deepest wound each of the nine types carry a very particular wound something happened in childhood typically 
that really got its teeth into them. How does Jesus empathize with that wound? But then the next movement is this. How does Jesus display his authority? And that comes in two motions. Um, How does he affirm you? In other words, here are all the ways that certain parts of your personality show up in the character of Jesus. But then the second part, how does he confront you? How does he actually say, there's a better way to do things than how you're doing it? And um, so in the book, it says empathy plus authority equals trust. And that actually comes from uh, Don Miller. Don Miller's a yeah, business yeah. A business leader. Yeah. And, uh, business and made his, simple. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's one of his basic principles. And so when I read that, so I say it again, thinking, empathy and comp- yeah, uh, um, empathy plus authority, authority equals trust. So yeah. the first, you know, he says businesses, first thing you got to show the customer, you understand what their pain is and what they're going through. Second thing is you show them why you're worth trusting. And if you can do those two things, um, then you're going to get their trust. So I started thinking about that in light of Jesus. How does Jesus sympathize with me? Does he really get me? I mean, really, does he get me, get me? That's the whole uh, he gets us campaign that's that's going on right now. It's based on that basic principle. Does he understand my pain? Because if he doesn't, I'm not going to trust him. And then the second piece, um, how does he display his mastery of relationships in life? Um so, uh, so yeah, so we go through that for all the nine types. And then ultimately, we land on this. Tim Keller says um, that the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And so often in a lot of Enneagram teaching, as well as just sort of just, I don't know, life coaching, it's, oh, you've got this problem. Then you need to go do these, these other things to offset the problem. So you've got these vices, go do this virtue. Um, well, as Christians, we actually believe we're not transformed uh, and saved by doing good things. We actually believe that it's good news that saves us. So in the same way that I parent each of my kids differently, because each of them have different personalities, I believe that God approaches each of us in different ways, unique to each of who each of us are. And the book attempts to explore what is the side of the gospel that you most need to hear. You need the whole thing. If it's a diamond, you need the whole diamond. But there's an angle on that diamond. That I'm fairly convinced that if you looked at it, it would pierce your heart in ways that are profound and life-changing. Um, and so the, this book attempts to get uh, readers to begin to identify what is the good news that Jesus has for you. And out of that, then you can begin to transform your personality. That's awesome. I love, I love the way that you kind of weave the different um, traits in, and you highlight uh, strengths and weaknesses, or vices and virtues, and they're so I say complementary of each other. Where you can see how this one could be on the opposite side, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- and that's that's kind of the fascinating thing too, right? Is like so often we pit aspects of our personality against other people. So if somebody says you know, I really just believe in really being strong. And then they come across somebody that's a little bit nervous, you know, they just go like, huh, that's just, that's the worst, you know, them being nervous. Well, the person um, that is nervous, well, it turns out they're also a really great planner because, you know, they try to have foresight and then they're going, gosh, that person that's just strong, they just steamroll ahead all the time. We do this thing where we pit uh, certain traits against one another, but in Jesus, we actually don't see that. What we see in Jesus is we see somebody who is completely unpredictable because there's no contradiction in him. 
It's why when we read the gospels, if, you know, Dan, you read a story about my life, there's a point at which you would get to know me as a character well enough that you could begin to predict how I'm going to react and respond because you've become familiar with my ways of thinking. Jesus is totally unlike that. You never know what he's going to do. You read the gospels. I've read the gospels over and over on loop and still I just read things and I go, how did he get there? How did he think like that? How did he know to respond like that? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so when, when we encounter Jesus, Jesus invites us to break out of our limited way of relating to people into a much broader experience. And it's some part of that invitation into abundant life. I've got to believe that it's an invitation into a relationally abundant life. And that that means that, uh, yeah, my small way of relating ain't going to cut it. Um, and that God wants me uh, to experience something bigger than that. Yeah, I love hope and abundance and inspiration as opposed to getting stuck in a, a negative way of thinking or getting stuck in scarcity. Just limits yeah. your options so, so much when you're in that space. And sometimes you need to stick your hand out and accept some help from somebody and say, I need a lift. I need a boost. I need I need somebody. So yeah. relationship, community, uh, building bonds with other guys, all that is so, so important. Um and then I like how you broke it down with body, heart, and head, you know, simplifying even more the the nine different personality types. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that fits pretty good. The body, heart, and head is a pretty good, pretty good summary of those three. So on one hand, it can be a little complex. On the other hand, you can simplify some of these principles down. And um, anyway, it takes a little bit to dive into, though. It does. And and there's a real risk with it. You know, when when the Enneagram was being developed, it, there was a, a point in the 70s where it moved from being like a um, a private teaching, like where it was just being taught in private sort of settings. And it suddenly started making its way out into the broader public. And those guys that were teaching it in private, they were kind of hacked off. And one of the reasons they were hacked off is because um, they said, this is really can be very complicated and they were nervous that people were going to try to simplify it to the point that it was actually going to be hurtful and not helpful. Um, and uh, and so, and I think in that same way, like I've seen it. I mean, I've seen the Enneagram utilized in a way that's really um, not helpful. Um, so the book, if you read the book, you know, cover to cover, it will be just complex enough that it's helpful without it becoming so complicated that you feel overwhelmed. Um, a few years back, I, I taught a workshop um, and it was for this church. Uh, it was a rural church, a lot of blue collar folks in the church. A lot of people um, in the room were on second and third marriages, a lot of trauma in the room, a lot of just people who live some hard lives. And this guy comes up to me after, um, after I taught and uh, he came up to me and he said, man, I just got to tell you, when you came in here, I thought, what in the world is this boy bringing in here? And he said, you start talking about numbers. And uh, and then he goes on to say, he goes, but I got to be honest, this was incredible. This changed my marriage. Mm. And um, and so it, that was the moment at which I, I really committed to, I want to write a book that um, whether you're blue collar or white collar, there's, there's something in here for you. It's going to be easy to understand, easy to follow. Um, 
And uh, so whether you're getting up in the morning uh, to go uh, do oil changes or whether you're getting getting up to go do surgery, um, this book was written in such a way that um, it's going to be accessible to you. So guys, when, what you focus on expands. So no matter how simple or complex, maybe you dive into a book like uh, How We Relate by Jesse Eubanks and you go, man, this is hard or this is complex, or I need to keep doing more work or whatever, what you focus on expands. So if you're focusing on learning about relationships, you're going to learn about relationships. You're going to pay attention to more cues about people and about yourself, and you're going to discover, such as Jesus inviting you into something, you're going to see those opportunities, and you're going to start having conversations with other people that are going to help you down the path. So really, really cool. Uh, you were telling your story about the good old boy that came up to you after he spoke, and it made me laugh. I gave a speech one time, and there was this guy in the front row. He's leaning back. His arms are crossed. He's got a frown on his face the entire time. I spoke for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour straight, and he's in the very front row. He's almost underneath my elbow, and I get done talking, exhale, and big line of people comes up to talk to me and he finally makes his way to me. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, it takes about three big steps at me. I'm like, is he going to swing at me? Still got this frown on his face. And he goes, boy, you changed my life. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Turns around, walks straight out the door. I have no Mm -hmm. idea who the guy was. Never seen him again. (laughs) Yeah. It's beautiful, man. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yes. And sometimes, you know, that's a, that's how we can be as people. Sometimes, you know, because of different things that have happened to us in life, man, we keep our cards real close. Um, and so I love those moments in which, you know, you realize that uh, the grizzly bears got quite a bit of teddy bear underneath. It was unbelievable. That whole time I was distracted by the guy and thinking mm-hmm. to myself, what is wrong? Like, well, mm-hmm. everybody else seems like this is going real good, but this one guy, he might he might punch me. And then I literally was afraid I had, I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Oh my gosh. Well, Jesse, this has been a pleasure. I just love talking to you. I love really, really enjoy your book. Super easy read. Um, and you're pretty dang generous. I know it's not out yet. However, um, oh, it's a, gotta... it is. A, it came out January 24th. Oh, it is out. Yeah. It is. out. Came, okay. Came out. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, you can go get the dang book now. And is it on audible also? Yep, you can get it. You can get it any version you prefer, and uh, it's worth saying too. There's uh, over a hundred illustrations in the book, um, as well, and so yeah, you can get it uh, in uh, hardback. You can get it as a Kindle version, um, or you can get it in audiobook form. Uh, and I read the audiobook myself, so it'll be the same voice you're hearing right now. That's awesome. So your assistant sent me a book, and I thought I was special because I got the pre uh, pre version, oh, yeah, the one that's uh-huh. not released to the public uh-huh. yet. And so yeah, I'm well, like, you, oh, you cool. are this special. book isn't you out are yet. Special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on your podcast, you had I don't know how many chapters in there for free, where mm-hmm. guys can check the book out before you know yep. doing the whole thing. So if this wasn't enough for you to go buy the book and check it out, uh, you can check out Jesse's podcast, Enneacast. Mm-hmm. And he's got the first however many chapters of the book uh, right there where you can hear his voice again and hear him go through some of the stuff that we talked about already today. But um, anyway, that that podcast was really, really good and a, a great intro into the book. And you do get some some good insight on that. And again, it's called Enneacast, 
E-N-N-E-A-C-A-S-T, Enneacast. Mm-hmm. So real good yeah. podcast. I dig it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we've got the Enneacast and then also you can check out the Love That Neighborhood podcast. If you baptized NPR, you would get our show. Uh, we cover a variety of controversial topics from a Christian perspective. Um, and we do it in a journalism and storytelling style. We say it's like a movie for your ears. So you can check the uh, check out that one as well. And then you can learn more about our work uh, that we do uh, with the ministry that I lead. I'm the founder and president of Love Thy Neighborhood. And you can head over to lovethyneighborhood.org um, where we provide podcasts, workshops, and programs to help people walk in the life and the lifestyle of Jesus. That's fantastic. Have you got a challenge, something that the guys can do from this week to next week, something that's simple? It doesn't necessarily have to be easy. It can be something easy, but something they can do that'll help challenge them, help them grow as a person, maybe be a better dad, maybe be a better husband, maybe just be more self-aware of who they are as a person. Uh, Yeah. Looks like you've got something in mind. So, Yeah, I do. I've got, um, it's the same question consider asking maybe at least one of these people, if not all three. And the the question is, how do you experience me? And uh, I would encourage you uh, first, ask your spouse. I would then say, if you have teenage children, ask them, don't ask your elementary age kids. That's kind of (laughs) weird. And then the other one I would say is um, ask a good friend. How do you experience me? And, uh, And then I would encourage you when you walk away from that, to immediately go somewhere and write down what they said. Make a note in your phone, grab a piece of paper, something, but record it in some way because most likely they've said things that your your brain will probably naturally want to edit out. And uh, and I encourage you go go capture it in some way so that you can go back and really think on it and then begin to pray about it and explore um, what's there to celebrate and what's there to work on. I assume somebody, you asked these questions already. Um, I have asked these questions many times to many people. (laughs) Yeah. Is there something on the, I want to edit that outside that you can share with us that came back to you? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the, you know, the, the one that's really tough for me is, um, is, is how unreliable my wife sometimes experiences me as, Hmm. uh, well-meaning, well-meaning. So she sees that my heart wants to love her well and show up for her and the kids, but they're just, I, I can be very um, uh, distracted and forgetful and uh, in ways that make it very difficult for her and in, in, in our dynamic and both as husband, wife, but also just in the functioning of our household. Um, and so that's, that's been one I've really had to come to terms with is that, um, and in my case, I eventually was diagnosed with ADD and I actually do, um, I receive coaching on my ADD now, um, to deal with that, but that was a very embarrassing one. Um, it wasn't one that I necessarily, you know, I felt some level of guilt over, but yeah, I mean, there was a fair bit of shame that came up because, I wanted to be somebody who could show up for his wife in very faithful, reliable ways, but the mountain of evidence showed otherwise. And so, yeah. So asking that question, how do you experience me? Um, You know, there's plenty of things. I mean, she had lots of affirming things to say, lots and lots and lots, but yes, the, the lack of reliability became hard for her. Dude, thank you for sharing that. Like, that's just an example of something that other guys might not say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all on a journey. God's grace be over all of us uh, because because we need it. 
Is there something in that ADHD or ADD was the word you used? You didn't say DHD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the H. I don't have the hyper part, but I've got the, I've got the distraction. (laughs) Is there something you work on there where you, you know, now that you're clued in? Yeah. The biggest thing is this. I never, ever, as much as I can, I I never allow myself anymore to say, um, I'll remember that later. I, I, I won't. My, if I do, that's the anomaly. The norm is I want to remember later. I won't. So yeah. So now I I write everything down immediately. If it's not on a to-do list or captured somewhere, my brain will go on to the next shiny thing and forget that it ever happened. And so, yeah, so that's, that's one of my big things. And then um, I I have a, a bunch of different automations that I use to remind me of things on a regular basis because uh, I'm prone to not remember how to do routines very well because uh, my brain's always looking for the next stimulant. And so, uh, and then living in 2023, there's plenty of stimulants to be found in the form of my supercomputer in my pocket. And so, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I no longer allow myself to say, oh, I'll take care of that later. I'll remember later. I write it down and I always try to put when I'm going to do something on it. So, so guys, that's a brilliant tip for anybody, much less somebody that's got ADD. Uh, when you make a commitment, figure out a way to honor that commitment. And people that have ADHD or ADD, it's an even bigger thing. Um, so I mentioned earlier about feeling guilty about my prayer list when I miss somebody or something. The way that I remedy that is I write it down and I put it in a specific location so that I can go back to it. Some days I forget something. I look back on previous days. I'm like, oh, there it is. So um, that's brilliant. Usually I don't um, record this part, but uh, while we're on the topic, I would be, I would love to be connected to somebody that is great with ADD or ADHD, like a coach or something like that. I would love to interview somebody on the Journey with Christian Dad podcast because I Mm. think that is something that can help a whole lot of people, whether it's the husband that has it or the wife that has it and the husband that's losing his mind trying to figure out what's going on as there's a lot of adults that are undiagnosed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's, there's a bunch of, um, there are really good books out there, um, particular about marriage dynamics and ADD. Um, the, the coach that I see, um, we don't, we don't talk at, I don't have any reason to to think she's a Christian or anything of that okay. sort. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but man, yeah, there's some, I wish I could remember, I wish I could remember what the book titles are, but I have ADD, so I can't remember what the book titles are. <laughs> so, uh, um, but yeah, there, there are some really good ones. Um, and what has been true in our case is, um, my wife who is neurotypical and does not have ADD. She, uh, came across the books first, read them and really found a lot of her own story in it. And then subsequently said, Hey, would you read this? And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's me. And that's us. And so, um, so yeah, so just, if you know, you poke around on Amazon, there's, there's tons of good books out there on it. Good, good, good. So there you go, guys, diving into relationship and understanding the dynamics so that you can then grow as a couple. So thank you so, so much, Jesse. I appreciate it a ton. It was great spending time with you and can't wait for hearing guys' feedback on on your book, How We Relate. And it is available all over the place nowadays. That's right. All over That's the place. Right. You can get it today. Buy it today. Until next week, catch you guys later. Do the challenge. Ask How do you experience me to your spouse, teenage children, and a good friend? Catch you guys next week. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.